Welcome to the PK Experience. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show. In this episode, I sit down with top performing business and life coach, Michael Nitty. Michael was the VP and Director of Operations at Tony Robbins' business and transitioned into full-time coaching around 2005. Since then, he's coached several top individuals across all types of industries from business to sports and everything in between and I had the pleasure of sitting down with him and talking to him about the spiritual awakening that he had and the vision of a methodology that he calls the trophy effect. The trophy effect is something that he personally walked me through. He was coaching me professionally for some time and it's a very illuminating concept where it helps you see where you're getting in your own way and helps you see oh, I'm creating my own stuck, my own conflict, my own inner conflict, and I didn't realize it. So this methodology is something that I wanted him to share with you, and he does so in this call. And we also get into some uh, how he actually came up with that spiritual awakening, the story behind it, and then again, how to go through that trophy effect process so that you can get out of your own way and perform at peak levels. So with that, let's dive into the call. Thank you for listening. All right, Michael Nitty, thank you for joining us today. Michael is, for those that are listening, Michael is a life coach, and uh, I had the pleasure of working with you, Michael, for, what was it, well, it's been a year plus now, but yeah. uh, as a member of uh, Tony Robbins' Platinum Partnership Program, we all get assigned a, a coach, and you were my coach, and it's been a pleasure kind of getting to know you, so I wanted to sort of share what some of the stuff that I've learned through you with the rest of the world. And so anyway, thanks for taking the time today. Well, no problem. I appreciate the invitation. It was privileged to be your coach for a while there. And uh, as you know, when I, when I coach anyone, it's a partnership thing. It's certainly not like, uh, you know, that's, it's just a great relationship, you know, where we just talk back and forth and I really appreciate. And it was a privilege to be your coach. Yeah. You know, it's, um, you said the other day, uh, if you get to talk too much, to, that I get to to politely interrupt you. So I will take your cue on that if uh, we ever need to do that. But for the most part, whenever you're talking, I'm usually just I go into listening mode and because I'm <coughs> taking notes or whatever. And um, but I'm interested a little bit. Um, let's let's give the listeners a little bit of an overview of how you approach life coaching and maybe what are some of the the common you know uh, hurdles that people run into that where they reach out to you, where they say, hey, I'm, I'm running into this block. Help me better understand, help the listeners better understand sort of what you do. What is a life coach in general? Okay, well, we'll get to the life coach in general thing, I suppose, later. But to the first part of your question, um, what I do is when I come, when a client comes to me, obviously they've got what you just said. They've got a block, a stop, something they're not accomplishing, uh, something's in their way. Maybe they just want more. Maybe they're looking for something new. There's something there that they're not able to achieve on their own. Now, they are able to achieve it on their own, but they are looking for a coach to support them through whatever's not working for them. So um, so what I do is it's unlike many other coaches is I don't start creating plans for making that happen. Um, they're pretty smart people. They can make a plan. They've probably already done it. The challenge is they're not following through. There's something blocking them. There's something that's preventing them. And it's not a secret. Most coaches know and most people know and even the clients themselves know that they must have some kind of a limiting belief or something from the past or something in their psychology that's preventing them from taking the action they're taking. So what I do is I focus on that. We go in and we put an end to whatever it is that's stopping them. How do you go about doing that? Well, first we, do, first we identify it. 
But what's different is I don't identify the specific stop. Like, you know, this is what happened when you got that divorce, or this is what you with the, this, what you made up about that, or something like that. Those things were invariably come up. You know, the fact that they had a bad childhood, all those psychological things that come up. But I'm not a psychologist, so we don't, you know, I don't really work on those things and certainly don't do any therapies on people. But they, again, they may come up. So what I do is we go to the fundamental source of what is causing people to not be effective in their lives. And that has more to do with their nature. In fact, it has everything to do with their nature. So what I do is I'm more of a teacher and I actually, um, you know, for the first few sessions, we actually you know, point a light on something that although everybody usually knows it intuitively, in fact, everybody does, they've never quite thought about it that way before. Mm -hmm. So I bring something out within them by the way I teach, you know, in the first few sessions where they get to say, oh my God, that's true. This is why I react the way I do. This is why I'm not able to move forward. And they see very clearly that they've been living in a certain way of showing up that isn't powerful for them. But not only see that, they get to see that there's another option and a more powerful way of showing up that becomes so crystal crystal clear for them that it's not like, oh, okay, well, how do I do that? No, it, they just do it. Mm -hmm. It's really that simple. And they start taking the action they need to take. But beyond that, it's actually they do all that and take all that action in a very empowered, positive, powerful, intentional way. So I reach in and make sure they're in a state where they absolutely feel on fire again. Yes. You, um, you taught me and you sort of came to this self-discovery of what you now call the trophy effect, which is kind of your, um, your intellectual property that you built your entire practice around. If, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's... You know, you, you have this idea of the, the trophy effect. Explain to people what the trophy effect is and how that helps them get to those fundamental truths that you were talking about. Well, yes, the trophy effect is fundamental in what I teach, but there's actually something more fundamental underneath that, which where we would probably begin there. And then the trophy effect is the dynamic that exists within all of our psychologies, within all human beings, um, as an outgrowth of just being human that usually stands in our way. So what I do is I expose the trophy effect to my clients. They can also just read my book, The Trophy Effect, but it's much more powerful when I take them through it personally. But what the reason why the trophy effect even exists and is there that, that, that it acts as a block for all human beings, even people who are very successful, they're somewhere in their life where maybe they're not as successful or they get stuck and the trophy effect, understanding the trophy effect will allow them to break free of that. But where it all begins is, I begin with my clients with making sure they're clear, it's very fundamental. There are only two ways of showing up in any given moment. So as human beings, it's very simple. We're a very simple creature. There are only two ways of showing up. And so I know that's pretty intriguing for people when I first bring it up because we know, well, my God, there's, there's times when I'm happy, there's times when I'm not, there's times when I'm... I'm in the middle, I'm, you know, annoyed, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, so many. But those are all feelings and emotions that are filtered through either one of these two ways. Because there's still only two ways. What, what are those two ways? Well, the two ways are, first of all, I like to tell people, first of all, start with the first most powerful way of showing up, okay? And the first of the two ways is this most powerful way of showing up. And that's how you and I show up when we're totally on top of our game. 
when we're living on purpose, when we're being intentional, when we're in the flow, when we're just in that zone where it just seems like it's flowing out of us. Things are going well. We're not afraid of what you know needs to be said. We're just saying it. We're being it. We're in, you know, we're in alignment with spirit and the truth. And we're just in that amazing, powerful, beautiful state. And the truth is, we have the ability to create that in any given moment. The problem is we aren't usually there. Uh, people are honest about it. They realize, yeah, it's great. And when they are there, you know, even though they know that they're creating that state, it doesn't seem like they have their hands on the dials and the switches and everything that would be able to just cause that in a moment. But the truth is we're all responsible. When we are being in that powerful state, who other, but, uh, who other than us is bringing that to the party, right? So once I get them to see it, it leads to the second way of showing up, which is how you and I, and the reason why there's only two ways. And that is because you and I are either living in that state, we're bringing it to the party, we're causing it to happen, or we're not. That's why there's only two ways of showing up. And when we're not, we're in the, we, we've fallen prey to the second way of showing up, which is known as reaction. And most of us are living in reaction 90 to 95 to 98% of the time. Yes. So, I mean, it's sort of in short, you know, you hear people talk about living their higher self or, live, you know, fulfilling their potential or whatever versus, you know, the, the smaller self or playing small where, where I think you articulated very perfectly there, which is living in reaction. So what is, what is the, for somebody who, first of all, how does somebody know that they're living in reaction? How do you become aware of? That is a beautiful question. And guess what? By making them aware. Because first of all, notice that that other state I was talking about, the more powerful state, is something we all ascribe to, to pain. You know, we think we can do self-help work to be able to get there. We, we get a coach to be able to be there. We, we read books. We do whatever we do because it's not within us to think that it's a place we could simply bring to the party in a heartbeat. Okay? It's something we have to attain by becoming good at it or maybe become a master of it. But the truth is the only reason we're not in it is because we are in reaction and the biggest reason why most of us are not in intention more often is we don't own that distinction. It's that simple. We're not walking around. When we aren't in that powerful state and we're in a reactive state, you know, a little annoyed by something, uh, not happy, uh, even all the way into depression, you know, we're just frustrated. We're not in a powerful state. We know we are. We're not blind to that. But we don't call it reaction. We just call the fact that we're not in that powerful state all the time life. Mm -hmm. We would even argue, many people even argue, well, you can't be in that powerful state all the time. I mean, you know, and when we are in that powerful state, we tend to think, well, it's because the right people are present. The wrong people aren't. Uh, I got up on the right side of the bed. It's right. sunny today. People are agreeing with me today. No, you're bringing it. Now, those may be impetuses, but we're bringing it when we're bringing it. Yeah. And so in order to do that, though, we have to catch ourselves in reaction. But if you don't own the distinction reaction, you're just thinking that, you know, well, of course I'm in a bad mood. There's traffic, and I had that fight with my wife today, and the employees aren't doing what I want them to do, and blah, blah, blah. Well, the truth is, even if those things are true, guess what? They, those things have shifted you into a reactive state, and you don't have to stay there. Yes, I, I find that when I'm talking to somebody who I perceive to be in the reactionary state is they often give me that response where they'll say, well, of course how else am I supposed to respond? I got cut off in traffic. So of course I'm going to be upset. 
and they don't necessarily, they're not aware of the, of the distinction of, no, that, that still is a reaction. So how does somebody, you, we talk about awareness, of course, so you have to be aware that you're quote-unquote reacting, but how does somebody then shift into intention to where they're not reacting? Well, let me give you a specific example because sure. this has come up for me uh, lately that I've heard from other people that they're angry all the time. So I've been talking to men who are saying, I, I take out my anger on my children. I take it out on my wife or at, at work. I'm always angry, which is they're already acknowledging and becoming aware that their anger is not really uh, proportionate to the environment that they're in. So they acknowledge that, but they're still in that reaction, you know, reactionary state. How do they start to shift out of that into what you call an intentional, powerful state? Well, first of all, to acknowledge it. And even though they're acknowledging they're angry, they're not tying their anger to living in reaction to something. They know they may be reacted. The kids didn't clean up the toys. You know, the wife didn't get dinner on time. You know, they don't feel like she's being a full partner or the kids aren't listening. So they understand that their anger is coming from some kind of something where they're reacting to it. But the bottom line is they don't call it a reactive state. So what, what it is, is, is that it's normal to go into reaction. So step one is to not think, well, I'm broken or I must be somebody who's inherently angry or I need to do some work on myself. Or No, you just simply need to acknowledge that you got shifted into a reactive state and your response in that moment was anger, okay? So once you know that, then you have to own the fact that you do have the ability to completely override your reaction with an intentional response which wouldn't be angry. So here's how we know we're in reaction. Would you ever be angry on purpose? Well, I, no. I mean, I guess you could. Is, is, People would say, now, you may, be in, you may be strongly intentional. Like, God damn it, I told you you need to get this thing done. You don't listen to me. And I promise you, if you don't get that done, there's going to be hell to pay. Okay? That's more intentional and, verb and verbally, you know, making sure people are clear. Now, if you go all the way to anger with it, it doesn't serve. All it does is scare people. And now they're in afraid of you. And they're going to go into reaction and not be as powerful in what they need to do. Sure. So I'm not saying that we don't be firm. I'm not saying that we don't, you know, we don't put out there what we need to have accomplished, especially if we're in charge of something or if we're a leader. But there's no reason to do it from an angry perspective. So getting back to my question, would you ever really truly be angry on purpose? Right. No, not on purpose. No. So where must you be if you're angry? In reaction. Okay. Think about it. Would you ever be annoyed on purpose? No. No, you can only be annoyed if you're annoyed at something in reaction. Mm -hmm. So the truth is, by simply shifting into intention, you override all of these other emotions. But again, it comes back to your question. Okay, Michael, I get it. How do you do it? Well, you're not going to like the answer. <laughs> you just do it. We all have the ability to do it. Go back again to a time when you were in a very powerful, intentional state. You know, you were just in the flow. It was like, wow, it, you were just there, okay? Even if you're not really clear why, although you assume it had something to do with the circumstances or, you know, just how you were feeling in the moment or you were just tired of not being that way and you had something that you had to share or you just really had to make your point. But when you were in that intentional state, when you were in it, totally in alignment with who you are, with spirit, with the greater good, feeling good about yourself, when you were there, who is responsible for you being there? Who, who, who's there? Who's responsible for that? You know that, right? Yeah. And nobody didn't come in and give you a drug or pump you up or you just, you, you're there. Okay. So if you own that and you know you're there, who has the ability to go there in any moment? You do. You. Now I know we don't feel that we do, but we first have to tell the truth. And the truth is you can. Yeah. 
Okay, how am I showing up right now? Intentional, reactive? Right, intentional. Okay, is it because I'm on a podcast? Or do you think maybe I just show up this way because I decide I better show up this way? <laughs> I think I think you decide the second you wake up, you're going to be in Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What am I? You can see me. I don't have much hair. I'm a regular guy. Why can I do it? Why, why, why can't everybody else do it? Anybody can do it. There's no reason why you can't shift into an intentional state in a heartbeat because you say so. Now, I'll promise you, I have become a master of this, and I'm in an, I live in an intentional state 95, 98, 95% of the time. The average human being, I'm not saying I'm not an average human being because underneath it all I am, they're in reaction probably 95% of the time. Right. So if I'm in tension 95% of the time, how often do you suspect I'm in reaction? No, the truth is, by math, it would probably be 5 2 or 5%. But the truth is, I'm in reaction. I go into reaction as often as anyone else. Okay, interesting. So what's the distinction? How long do I stay there? That's the distinction. Mm -hmm. See, we all go into reaction. It's normal to go into reaction. It's human to go into reaction. Reaction is actually normal. It is the default setting of being human. Mm -hmm. Okay? You, you brought up a really, really good point, I think, that I want to emphasize, which is, that if somebody, for example, is in an angry state or whatever state that they're in, that mm -hmm. they don't immediately jump to feeling wrong or bad about it. That they first just acknowledge it, accept it, see it. Um, I might be putting a little bit of words in your mouth, but part of what you said was, uh, if I heard you correctly, was to say that you were that you accepted on some level. And I find that when people are in a reactive state, that if they make themselves wrong about it they sort of compound the reaction to it. They make, it, oh. it creates even a deeper reaction, if you will. Not only make, them, you know, make themselves wrong, they don't. They re refuse to because where does that come? When you're not, look, when you're in an intentional state, you're in alignment with the truth, with love, with, with spirit, with the greater good, okay? When you're in a reactive state, you're actually in an ego-driven state, yes. okay? You're trying to prove your point. You're trying to make, you make others wrong and yourself right. You're trying to dominate somebody else, even if you're doing it subconsciously in order to get your way. So, yeah, when you catch yourself being angry, you, 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 the first thought is, well, I deserve to be angry. And they made me angry. If they'd have just done what I wanted, I wouldn't be angry. So, so, when you, so to, first you have to understand that there's still ways to get your outcome without the anger. Yes. And because all you're doing when you're in a reactive state, whether it's anger or upset of any kind or even in a sad state or whatever, you know, you, you're you not going to be effective. And when you are in an overly reactive state, what, how, what are you going to cause other people to be in? What state are they going to be in? They're going to react to your reaction. <laughs> They're going to react to your reaction. This is the way most life is happening all day with human beings. Everybody's walking around in a reactive state. Mm -hmm. and we're wondering why we aren't getting things done. Okay. So the truth is, but once you shift into an intentional state, again, one of the reasons we stay in a reactive state is like, I didn't do it, you did it, and you have to do it. I don't care what your reason like, you must do this, and you've got to put in the correction, and you've got to get the job done no matter what. But we're, we're saying it in a way, you know, where we're not in an intentional state, we're in a reactive state because we're reacting to the fact that they didn't get it done, or they didn't clean up the toys, or whatever. So we're sending people into a reactive state. They're now in a reactive state, and even if they start to do what you need them to do because you're the boss, or you're the father, or you're whatever, the mother, or whatever, they're still not happy about it. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be doing what they're doing from a reactive state. But the truth is, if you catch yourself, 
From an intentional state, you still have every right to put in the correction, say what needs to be done, let the employee know that they made a mistake and they need to put in the correction. I mean, there's not a thing you can't communicate from an intentional loving state. And when you do, what, what are the greater chances that you're going to cause somebody else to be in an intentional state as well versus a reactionary state? Pretty high. Pretty high. I can almost guarantee you that if you're in a reactive state, when you're communicating with somebody else, they're going to go into a reactive state. Yes, I experience have experienced that often. And I mean, even just with your kid, with my kids, it's you know, if I if I'm tired or I'm, I'm upset about something or stressed out, like I meet when I see them, I'll see it in them, and then I'll realize, oh, I'm in reaction, which is why they're reacting to me, and and it's a wake up call, you know, in that moment to shift. Um, but yeah, I, I, that reactive reactionary state. Uh, from either my reaction is I, I experience that from time to time. Um, well, here's actually what's going on there. And that is that one of the reasons we don't shift out of reaction right away is we don't own that there's an alternative. We know it intellectually, but we don't own in that moment there's an alternative. And again, we justify because we don't call it a reactive state. Once we own that we're in reaction, we also own the fact that we have the ability to shift out of reaction and into intention in a heartbeat. Why wouldn't you? It's the reason I'm able to shift out of the reactive state I fall into from time to time as much as anyone else. You know, my wife says something I'm not happy about. Something doesn't go the way it's supposed to go. There's traffic and I'm late. Computer isn't working. Sure. It's just that once I recognize it, why would I stay there? I'm going to resolve it anyway. I might as well resolve it from an intentional state. So I've taught myself to shift immediately back into an intentional state. And anybody can do that. Now, you, you just said that you taught yourself. Um, describe the scenario of how you actually got involved with sort of this help self space in the first place. Um, you mentioned, I think, on your website back when you were younger at age 32 that you sort of discovered this ability to, to step into intention, I guess, if you will. Um, how did you get into all of this yourself? What what? All right, well, we could go there, but here's just real quickly clarifying it. It's not that I discovered the ability to shift into an intentional state. I discovered the reason why I was in a reactive state. <laughs> now, that comes first, okay? Once I was able to see, because I wasn't calling it a reactive state. I was calling it life. And every, and every once in a while, I was in a better state, but it was random. Usually when I was, you know, teaching or something where I felt connected with people. But like anybody else, I was walking around in a reactive state. And even as I was learning about this kind of stuff from the first original self-help work I did, I was still stumbling and mumbling my way through life like anybody else and, you know, not calling it reaction at the time, just calling it a time in life where I maybe wasn't as happy or as unintentional as I was other times, you know, living life, being a normal human being, living life, and more often in reaction than not. And um, so the reason the way I came up on that epiphany was that I had been doing some self-help work for a couple of years. The reason being um, at 28 years old, again, just being a regular guy working in a regular job, having, you know, some good times, but a lot of bad times and just being under stress and whatever human beings do. Um, my wife at the time decided that she was going to run off with my best friend. So uh, that put me in a very reactionary, uh, suicidal state wow. and, um, and I didn't know what to do. And then one day somebody at the office came up to me and told me they had just done this self-help course. Well, I didn't even know self-help existed at that time. I was a blind, naive 28 year old. 
And uh, he invited me to a course that was an introductory for something called the S training at the time, which was the original self-help work back in the 70s. And uh, so I went. I didn't go just on my own. I had to actually act like I wasn't interested in all that good shit, you know. So, and I told him I probably wouldn't go because, of course, I didn't need such a thing. Right. But I ended up going that night because I was so intrigued. Because this was a guy that told me about it was an absolute somebody I did not admire at all. Just a, uh, just a, not a, you know, a real somebody to put you into reaction very easily. Let's put it that way. But for the last, since he had done this course. He was actually showing up as a great human being. I'm like, well, so I was kind of like thinking, well, what did he do? So I was intrigued. So I went and I did the introductory seminar. I ended up doing the S training. And I was so blown away by it, I became a leader in that organization. And I, you know, led courses and became a coach, although it wasn't called coaching at the time. I was just a teacher and a leader. And I led one of their their, their, their courses that taught other people to show up this way. And I was I was really starting to live a more intentional, purposeful life. But I still felt like there was still something missing. I didn't know what it was. So, I mean, I put myself through the grind. I did all their courses. I did ropes courses and, you know, breakthrough courses and seven days and six days and, and, and taught at a high level. And, um, but I was doing it from Ohio. And one day I was in Seattle on business and I attended one of their seminars in Seattle. And, um, you know, I said, how cool is this? I'm in another city. I'll visit their seminar. Now, back in Cleveland, I was the man. I was the leader of the courses. I, I was seen as somebody who knew of what they spoke. I was feeling my oats. And I got to Seattle. I walked in and I didn't know anybody, obviously. And I sat through the course and I kind of realized that maybe it's just that I just know everybody because I wasn't feeling it there. I was feeling like, uh, hello, don't you know who I am? And you know, my ego was kicking in and I felt a little bit unnoticed and underappreciated and not connected. And um, wow, I was just taken aback. And at the end of the day, at the end of the seminar, everybody got up and gave everybody hugs and everything. And I noticed no, nobody's hugging me. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I felt like maybe I was just living a lie. Maybe that guy back in Cleveland didn't really have it all together. And um, and finally, I don't, maybe the look on my face, there was this young lady that just kind of gave me a look and a smile, and she came up and gave me a hug. <laughs> and it was funny, and I gave her a hug back, and she goes, I haven't seen you before. And I started talking, and then it started coming out of me. And, and But it was funny. To, to make the story short, I realized in that moment that although nobody was hugging me, I wasn't hugging anyone else. <laughs> now, that sounds so stupid and so silly and duh, obviously. But that was such a breakthrough for me that I, unless I was in my element, I was waiting. I was in reaction to wasn't what wasn't happening in that in that seminar that evening, and mm -hmm. what wasn't showing up for me the way I wanted it to be. But I realized in my heart I had every ability to walk up to somebody else, no matter how much fear was in my, I was present to or feeling weird. I had the ability to cause myself intentionally walk up to somebody else and I was not doing that because I was in reaction. I wasn't calling it that yet, but that's what I saw. So I made a decision. I said, wait a minute, you've jumped off of mountains and bridges and swam with sharks and done all these amazing things and you know it's really truly who you are, but you're not bringing it to the party for some reason. But now that you know that you can make the first move, there might be something in there about just being intentional and doing that. So I went back to my hotel that night and I declared that I was going to be intentional. 
So I went up to the bar restaurant on the top floor there in Seattle. Of this, 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 I think it was the uh, Red Lion Inn. But I walked up with this intention to just make a difference. And I didn't know anybody. So I walked into the bar and I just said, you know, I'm going to do it. And I put all my fears behind me. And I saw a couple of ladies sitting at the, at the bar. And they were like, they were in a bad state. One was crying. And the other one was trying to kind of console her. And like, <laughs> I just walked up to them. And I said, and I intervened immediately, but you can imagine how that would how from their perception, like, who the hell are you? You know, <laughs> what are you doing in our business? Right. But I showed up with so much love in my heart and so much tension intention around what I was about to say or be, or with this, this desire to cause something great happening with those two that it just, they got it and they let me in. And I just used all, you know, there were no skills involved. There was no trying to be a certain way. I just beat it. And I just, and within 20 minutes, I found out what was going on with this one girl was a relationship challenge and a divorce. And I mean, I just turned their lives around in, in like 20 minutes. I mean, they were like empowered and feeling, and I didn't know where the words came from. I spoke intentionally about intention and reaction, but didn't even own those distinctions till they came out of my mouth. So it was born of my intention. The words just came through me. And although I experienced that before, not at this level and not with a couple of strangers. So it was like, wow. And now I was, I was unstoppable. Now I went to the next table, sat down at a booth with people I didn't even know. <laughs> and I started teaching this shit. And they were looking at me at first like, who the hell are you? But that was part of the breakthrough, the fact that there was no, there was fear, but I was pushing through it. I wasn't going to let it, like, let anything stop me from just sharing what I had just discovered. So I did that, and I did that for the next hour. And now I'm really unstoppable. When I'm walking up to my hotel room, like, I couldn't even feel my feet touch the ground. I was like, wow. And I walked into my hotel room, and I was just so grateful. And I wasn't that into any kind of religion or spirituality. I accepted that maybe there was a higher power, but all of a sudden there was like this flash and I just got pulled down into my bed and I went into this space that I now know is the ether. And for the next hour I was treated to in a complete reliving of my entire life, taking full responsibility of where I had been a shit, why my wife left me in the first place instead of blaming her i got to see all the reasons why if i was her i would have left me too i mean taking full responsibility and i got to see that all the reasons why i wasn't being intentional was the fact that i was living in this reactive state but what i was reacting to was all these little pieces of proof that i had accumulated over an entire lifetime that i wasn't good enough an entire library full of proof that I wasn't good enough. And it showed up in every aspect of my life. So a lot of what I was doing, even if I was coaching or teaching, it was in order to prove to somebody how good I was. It wasn't real. But I realized in that moment that what I had done that night in the bar is it wasn't to prove to anybody I was great. It was just to make a difference. It was just to cause them to feel love and light and to experience something new. So it was completely devoid of ego. But, I really, but what I really got out of that process, since you asked, was the fact that I got, became very clear that not only myself, but all of us have this lifetime collection full of little pieces of proof that we're not good enough. And in that moment, they showed up for me 
kind of like they would, they were, it was kind of weird. The reason why I wasn't able to see it is they were showing up like little trophies that I was storing in a trophy case. But normally trophies would be something you earn when you do something good. I had been earning them for little pieces of proof that I wasn't good enough. And, but the only thing I didn't see in that moment, I thought it was specific to me because I was in this terrible, you know, state about the divorce and all these things. And even though I had been doing good for a couple of years, I saw that I was deeply in, you know, entranced in that stuff. So um, I didn't in that moment realize the exact full effect of the trophy effect, but I started teaching it to certain people, but mostly people who I ran into who were deeply depressed, who had post-traumatic stress, who had things in their life, you know, abuse as a child. And it started working. And I started coaching and teaching from this, this distinction. It wasn't until I became a formal coach, uh, maybe 15 years later, that I finally realized working with clients on a daily basis that everybody had this trophy effect thing going on, not just people who had traumatic, you know, pasts or abuse or things like that, or, you know, you know, those kind of things. And that's when the trophy effect was born. So it was born of the epiphany I had in Seattle in 1982. So to be clear, for those that are listening, you had this mental symbolic image of uh, any time that you felt that you were not good enough, that you received a little not good enough trophy that you had and not loved enough and didn't belong and, you know, failed. If I made a mistake during the day, something as small as that I got to see. I didn't see that that night, but I did see it later as I started realizing. Because when I brought this to people and started working them through this process, they all saw very clearly what I had seen. So I realized that everybody has it. So that this was going on with all human beings, that everybody has this trophy effect phenomenon going on. Yes. But that's how it was born. Such a powerful metaphor to, to articulate what's actually happening with a lot of people psychologically that they're not even aware of. And I had a similar realization too when I was in, um, uh, I went to a landmark I think you worked with Landmark before, correct? That's what the S-Training did become Landmark. Okay. So what I went to a Landmark event in Denver a number of years ago, and one of the biggest takeaways for me was seeing – it was such an eclectic mix of people. I mean, we had a former congressman, a, uh, a girl that was suicidal, um, a gang member, um, well-to-do you know, young professionals, uh, a guy that directed porn – Another guy that thought he was going insane. And so we had these all these different backgrounds, and every single one of us at the root was dealing with essentially what you're saying, the trophy effect. And, and that to me was such an eye-opener because in my own isolated world, I thought my problems were my problems and they were unique to me and all that. And it allowed me to see like, wow, wildly different upbringings and backgrounds and economic resources, and we're all dealing with the same trophy effect essentially well there you go yeah. and when I, once I realized that that's when I decided that I would write the book and have it you know and be able to teach it from just book form so I wouldn't have to coach everybody one-on-one -on, -one on the planet but what I also discovered was that there was a way I could teach it in a way where I could entrap the mind during our conversation so that the mind wouldn't resist because our survival mind doesn't want any part of us understanding this it doesn't want us to know this is going on it wants to, it because its job is to keep us safe. To keep, and if we understand the trophy effect and break free, we'll start living this outrageously. You know, you know, taking chances, doing what we need to do. We'll, 
you know, walk up to people and expose ourselves to being, you know, put down. I mean, the mind doesn't want that to happen. So the mind doesn't want anybody to know that the trophy effect's going on. So I couldn't just, I don't just explain it to people. I did a little bit of explaining just now here. But when I take people through the process, it's actually a bit of a hypnosis process, although it's not hypnosis. I actually take people through a process where they get to see very clearly how this is showing up in their life. Yeah, and once they see it, then they're able to let it go. Yes, you. I mean, you walked me through that experience, and uh, it's such a powerful way to, like you said, like it's you can't deny it. Like it's so clear that, and the shift that you can make, and and that to me is the most important piece is the empowerment. You talked about responsibility a few minutes ago. The responsibility for for you to find that place of humility to say man, I am responsible for my wife ultimately leaving me is so, it is, can be devastating on an emotional level, but it's also incredibly empowering because now you can respond to it. Now you can actually learn from it. It disappears all ever again, ever putting blame anywhere else. Right. Now, does it not mean that there are people doing bad things and living from their ego and hurting people intentionally and dominating others and even hurting others? Of course that happens out there. And you can say that well, we should blame them for the fact that this thing happened. But we're still all responsible for how we react to it, how we show up in response to it. And we can always show up from it in an intentional manner. So like I said, I didn't necessarily learn about being intentional during that epiphany. I only learned why I was in reaction. Yes. And why we're in reaction is we do fall prey to the trophy effect. It's still up to us now to step into an intentional state. And that evolved for me over the next few years as I came to realize that there's, we have in every moment we have the ability to show up intentionally. Yes, and 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 so to just sort of paint the other side of the coin a little bit, where you know you're talking about the trophy effect being that we're giving ourselves trophies for all these ways that we come up short, um, right. and then the other side, of course, to the trophy effect is to start to become aware and start to reward ourselves, give ourselves trophies for how we're actually truly showing up in our higher self, if you will. Is that accurate? Absolutely. In other words, what you discover is that you've been giving yourself these bad trophies and storing them in a, in a, in a way in your mind where you're constantly subconsciously associated to all these bad memories and bad proof that you're not good enough. Yes. And then what you have is the ability when you go out there and start acting intentionally is to start acknowledging yourself. And we don't acknowledge ourselves in, 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 in life. I take people through the process and boy, they, I find out they've been giving themselves Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of trophies they discover during the process while they've been, you know, their, their entire life for any little thing they do. Make a little mistake, uh, blow off a workout, certainly if something really bad happens. But then these are all, like you and me, these are still good people who have accomplished a lot in their life. Nobody comes to me for coaching that is in a really bad state. They're usually going and doing therapy or something else. But I get people who are, maybe they're stuck, but they're still successful. I work with very high level clients, make a lot of money. I mean, you know, these people have accomplished something. So they've all done wonderful things. But what they find out during the process is although they have accumulated a lifetime full of really you know, these bad trophies and all these bad memories, even though they've done a lot of good stuff, they have not unconsciously awarded themselves good trophies for those things. They, had, they simply went, they just let it go. Yeah, I did something good. So what? And a lot of it has to do with the fact that in the culture, we're conditioned, you know, not to be an arrogant asshole. 
<laughs> so we don't we don't tell people about all the good stuff we've done. We don't we we try to suppress that a little bit. Now there are some narcissists out there who will tell you how great they are in every every moment. But you know, for the most part, we've been conditioned to be humble. But the problem is we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater yes, and we're exactly. overly humble and we don't acknowledge our own greatness, our own magnificence. Yes, I, you know, I, in full transparency, I think when you and I first started talking, you do come across as very confident and very, um, I, I, somebody could perceive it as being braggadocious or something. But one of the things that I've One of the things that I've really learned to appreciate about you is that it's not bragging at all. You're just simply acknowledging that you have mastery in this area or that you have success in this area. It's a matter of um, self-awareness and self-love to say that, yeah, I've worked my butt off on it. And I should reward myself for that by simply acknowledging it, not from an ego state because I'm trying to prove to somebody, but simply because it is. it is. It's just it. It just is. I've gotten results. But here's the other reason why it doesn't come off. Is, first of all, it's not ego. It's just the truth. It's an acknowledgement of my own magnificence, but it's not my magnificence. It's the magnificence we all have the ability to share and be. We're all born with the same ability. Yeah. So there's nobody that doesn't have the ability to look into their into their past, acknowledge the trophy effect, let it go. And now, once they let it go, now they're free to step up into their own full power, their own magnificence, their own intentionality. I don't have anything going on with me that there's not another human being on this planet that can't step into just as well. Yeah. In fact, in many cases, much better than me. You know, I, that's the way it is. They've got talents that I don't have, but they're not expressing them fully. And every time they fail at whatever they do, they could succeed 15 times, fail one little bit, and they're going to go right back into the, oh, my God. Yeah. And what I do is I remove the, oh, my God, and they, they still fail. Yeah, we all fail. We all make mistakes. We all don't win every single sporting event or every ace everything we do. But instead of them falling back into the bad where we just are full of all these these feelings from being in the bad presence of all the bad memories, we're able to just acknowledge it, break free, and step back into our power intentionally and on purpose, rather than stay in reaction to what just happened. Yes, this is a, maybe a little bit of a deeper question, more advanced question, but I have found that sometimes people, when they acknowledge that their drive in life comes from um, uh, let's let's take for example somebody who's very very successful, right? right? And and you start to uncover and recognize that the reason why they're so successful is because they're driven because they don't want to be like their parents or that they don't want to live in the poverty that they grew up in and that there's a lot of if you will negative trophy effect type things that's that they're pushing away from, but it's still causing them to live in a reactionary state. So well spoken. So well spoken. How do you? And what we do then. I like what you're. I appreciate it. So what we're doing then is some of those people that that actually try to hold on to some of that. That's pain, what I was going to say. By the pain. They feared the acknowledgement of that because no, no, no. That's where my drive comes from, and yet it's right. the thing that's keeping them from feeling fulfilled. So how do you? That's so well. The drive spoken. without the the negative reaction. Because we make sure they're clear that although it, that it's, it's been, they've been hypnotized into thinking that it's their drive. Was it their drive? Yes. We're not doubting that. But once they don't have to have that be their drive, they now are able to be fueled by their true intentionality. There is their goal, their passion. Like, I'm here to win the championship. Not because I feel bad because I struck out in front of my relatives when I was in 
third grade and everybody, you know, and I'll never want to feel that pain again. No, I want to win the championship because I want to win the fucking championship. Yeah. <laughs> and they become, and then there's nothing to hold them back anymore except their pure passion, their drive, their intention. And, but also not just from an ego perspective, mm-hmm. but from an intention to live their life as a demonstration of what's possible, yes. to empower others, to give it away, to be a teacher themselves. And now it's stuff they never even thought possible before or really embraced because they were too ego-driven. Yes. So now we take it away from having their ego drive what they're doing to their true intention, their passion, their desire to share love and their, and their, their knowledge with everyone else. There's very few people I work with that don't become some kind of a coach, even if it's just in their own life with their own family, yeah. once they understand this stuff. Because all we've ever wanted to do is empower and emblazon others. It's such a fine line, but the distinction is massive. Because on the surface, you don't really see a difference. You don't see a change. Like the, the a person who's driven by fear looks very similar than a person who's driven by intention, who's driven by a desire to make an impact and contribute. Uh, and so, and for that person to make that shift themselves is monumental because they can actually, it's to me, when you're talking about intention, it's choice. You choose it. And so I, I was just getting chills when you were saying a second ago, how becoming aware and just choosing instead of pushing away because you want to avoid it, it's just, you're, you're simply choosing because it's just who you are. And uh, I, we are fundamentally too. Yes. I mean, it's really who we are. We are intention and love waiting to happen. We've just been blocked and by the trophy effect, blocked by our survival mind, inventing ego in order to get us by and survive. Most of us are just surviving, not thriving. Even if things- we're surviving, even if we're surviving big time, living in a big mansion with lots of beautiful cars, we're still not. We're we're doing it from our ego. And from demonstrating something versus, in fact, in other words, it's mostly about us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said a second ago, intention and love, and obviously having the benefit of talking to you for over a year, um, you talk about the idea of intention really being a masculine energy, not necessarily men energy, but masculine in energy that both men and women can express. Um, can you touch on that a little bit from w- what you talk about in the divine masculine and the divine feminine being the intention and love? Sure, sure. First, I do want to, to, we were so close to finishing something up there that I want to finish up. And that is, is that when I talk about um, the intention of being intentional, it's it's for the greater good, remember. It's not, you could, you could rob a bank on purpose, intentionally rob a bank, not for the greater good. <laughs> That's not in that realm. It's always... Intention, with what I'm speaking, it has to do with for the greater good, an alignment with spirit, an alignment with some, you know sharing something in a in a way that you could be the boss that has to get the product out by this afternoon, but that's for the greater good. Otherwise, the company doesn't thrive and people don't get their paychecks. So it doesn't have to be that it's all lovey dovey, but it does have to be in alignment with the greater good. But it's also not about you. So one the shift when you start living intentionally, you know, it's about giving it away. The reason I'm a coach is I want to give it away. I cannot teach enough people what I'm teaching right now. I cannot get enough people. I may not bring me more clients, bring me more people on a podcast. Uh, you know, but we're all that way. This isn't Michael. This isn't just something. This is all of us. This is what's in our hearts when we break free of the trophy effect, when we break free of the ego. All any of us ever wanted to do is contribute and make a difference. Mm-hmm. 
So it's about, you know, so that's the distinction that, that, that drops away. It's not about me. Now, is it, do I still get value? Do I still get to get paid for my services? Do I still get to move into the new house I'm going to be moving into two weeks from now and drive my nice little Mercedes? Yes, I do. I love it. <laughs> so it's not about being some humble little spiritual teacher who sits on a mountain and meditates all day long. I think that's wonderful if that's what you want to do. But no, this is bringing true intentionality to the party with an intention to give it away. Okay, so when you give it away when your intention to your employees, to your spouse, to the people you're with, and it's not about you anymore. Does that mean you don't get value? No, that's the distinction. But it's there over there first. Okay, so now, by the way, and that is the divine masculine. That is the divine masculine. Okay, Mary is the divine feminine, which is love. But it's more, their distinctions are, you ask, so here's the distinction the way I see it. My masculine would be that we step into our full protective um, wanting to serve, uh, wanting to make it great, you know, it's, it's, and, and in service, by the way, of the feminine, of the divine feminine, okay, it's anyone, I, half of my clients are men, half of my clients are feminine, are, are women, but I'm still always coming from my divine masculine with an intention to own what I'm speaking, to inspire, to empower, to cause other men to step into their divine masculine, which means at that point we take away all of the, you know, the blame, all of the, well, I would step into my divine masculine more if she stepped into her divine feminine more. (laughs) No, you go first. You go first, okay? So the divine masculine actually intends to go first, okay? It doesn't listen to the little reasons why, what's going on. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, like say, well, you know, if this, if this person did more of this than I would, or if my wife gave me more of this than I would, it's like, no, first you go first, then she'll be inspired to do that. Okay. Yeah. Now, it may be instantaneous. Like I have so many men I coach and they get excited about stepping into their divine masculine. They go home and they say, well, I did it. And you know, she still didn't uh, have sex with me that night or she still gave me a bad time. Okay, so for the last 15 years, you've been a piece of shit, giving her a bad time, being in reaction. You've stepped into your divine masculine for one day, and it's okay, honey. (laughs) So it's funny stuff. But yes, it's the ongoing thing. But you'd be surprised. You really, truly step into your divine masculine. Again, we were were all here to be the hero. So that's a good answer as to why you say, well, there's no more drive anymore. If I'm not trying to overcome what happened when I was a kid or prove that I'm you know, or prove that I'm going to be the best, what drives me? Well, how about being the hero? See, being the hero is the absolute, you know, utmost expression of divine masculine. You know, the step in and say, how about that guy recently that reacted, that what did what he did at the Waffle House, right? right. He stepped into his divine, I already said, well, he just saved his life. You know, if people were getting killed, he had to do something, he grabbed the gun. But I promise you in that moment, he stepped into his hero mode. Okay, he did that from his divine masculine. Mm-hmm. There was an intent to save the day, whatever it might be. So this old superhero metaphor and, and, and paradigm and uh, archetype is actually true. And uh, does that mean we have to be like, you know, masculine, over the top, you know, strong men that, you know, slay all the dragons? Not necessarily from that powerful place, but certainly we slay the dragons. We we do what has to be done. We save the day. That's what drives us if we're in that strong. But again, it's for others. Now, do we feel good? Do we get to feel like we're the hero? Yes, but we don't need to get an award. We don't need to. Awards are nice. I'm not saying we shouldn't get them. 
But when you're in your divine masculine, that's what's going on. And again, it's in service of the divine feminine. Yes, and I think when you're the the distinction, the difference is, is that when you go slay those dragons, are you doing it to be the hero by based on measured by the reaction of everybody else, or are you doing it because you are a hero and it's just what heroes do? And so I brought the Waffle House guy. If you've seen him on any media lately, he's not getting you know, his head is all not getting filled up with you know, oh boy, am I great or whatever. And, and that humility is part of it. Now, it's not a fake humility, and it doesn't mean you can't also, by the way, you have to be driven by knowing you're making a difference. I have zero doubt when I'm working with a client. I'm so excited when I get a new client because I already know what they're going to be feeling in five sessions. <laughs> I already know. Right. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. I'm not giving up. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing whatever yeah. I got to do. And, uh, and guess what? For the most part, that's about how long it takes before they really get something and feel something different. But... Let's break. Let's switch it over to the divine feminine. So, what is the divine feminine then? Well, the divine feminine is, you know, from the female perspective. Because again, we both share the energies. A man can access both his divine masculine and his divine feminine. Same for a woman. Um, but if we're talking about from the female perspective, the divine feminine would be actually be to empower the divine masculine. It would be to uh, women. I mean, when they feel in their 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 when they really feel. Like in you know being consumed, being used, why they were put on the planet. When they really feel fulfilled, it's when they've shown their light on the masculine, on a divine masculine. They've coached and supported the masculine. There's really no problem for the woman to go out there and have their man be the superstar, you know. And they're the ones that coached him into it, that that supported him in doing that, fed him love and you know, and all those beautiful energies to allow him to go out and slay the dragons. I know that sounds a little old-fashioned. So, ladies, before you want to call in and just have me shot, I did not just say that men should go out and save the world and women should be behind them, should be behind them in power. You go get the, you go slay the dragons, honey. No, no, no. In fact, it's the exact opposite. If the world, if we really wanted the world to work, we would put women in charge and we would just simply serve them by doing everything I said the divine masculine would do. And yes, they would coach us, but from their position of power. <laughs> so, okay, it's a whole other conversation. There is a, I mean, there is a cultural narrative right now that says, you know, we've been a, we've been in a patriarchy for too long. Absolutely. So, so are you then? Would you be in support of more of a matriarchy where women were in full control across the board and and the absolutely from the divine feminine? Now, here's what it is then: that all of the men step up in their divine masculine in service of the divine feminine, okay? But it would still be, this is a whole other conversation. I was just going to say, we, we have time to get would into be all the whole distinction of our sexuality. Because when a man is in his divine feminine, that also includes our natural attraction to the sexuality of the divine feminine. Mm -hmm. To where we're going to comment on their sexualness, their attractiveness, whatever it might be, but not necessarily from an asshole perspective and with and devoid of pure honor and respect for the feminine. Mm -hmm. Because when you're in your divine masculine, you're bringing forth a, a pure and actually inherent respect for the feminine, a divine honor and respect of the feminine. But we don't do that as men. That's why Me Too is screaming, okay? Yeah. Because that hasn't, what's, it hasn't been that we're only in a patriarchy. We have grown up in a culture where there is no inherent it doesn't show up as honor and respect for the feminine that's been the problem okay and that's why women are reacting and why they have a trouble stepping into their divine feminine to support the divine masculine 
when the divine masculine has not been treating them very good for centuries. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's their problem. Yeah. They don't. They, they, they'd like to. Now that's why women have a challenge. They feel it in their their heart to to support and empower the masculine. But then every time they do, the man cheats on them, runs off with another girl. You know, doesn't pay them as much as they pay the men. I could go down the list that women are complaining about. Right. So it's hard to empower and support that guy whose ego is treating you like shit and being part of a culture that has been taught to diminish and, you know, not respect, you know, the feminine. Yeah. That's not, that's because we were born into a culture that told us it's okay to do that. So as men, even though in our heart we feel like empowering and honoring the feminine, we grow up in a culture where... I don't really have to. <laughs> you yeah, know? I think that I, mean, I got to yell at a little bit or I thought of I'm an asshole, but I can still go up and pinch him in the ass if I want to. I was taught that when I was a young kid. Yeah. So now that's changing, fortunately, but that's where that comes from. I see two sides of that where you do have that sort of that asshole man or whatever that will pitch her in the ass. Or whatever. Oh, no. yeah. But the, you're right, the machismo or whatever. But then you also have on the other side, you have the men that are overly sensitive, overly cautious. Is it okay if I do this? And so there's a there's a weakness in that as well. Like that to me is the Absolutely. other side of it. Absolutely. You, you talk to most feminine women and they don't want any part of that guy. Why do you think so many women like the bad boys? Right, exactly. Okay, because they want that strong masculine attention. Right. They just want it devoid of the disrespect, the dishonor, sure. and the unwillingness to honor them as the amazing, magnificent leaders that they are. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, and there, by the way, that doesn't mean anything wrong with the, the man who has somewhat softened himself because he is more respectful or honorable of the feminine and, and has made his masculine energy wrong for whatever reason. I don't support that, but... That's not that that guy's in a bad place, but he's actually probably not honoring his full masculinity. I was just going to say, if he's intentional, yes, but uh, a lot of times... I see it in reaction. Yeah, it's in my reaction. experience, a lot of those guys are, are doing what you were talking about earlier, where they're waiting to get the approval, or they're doing things because yeah. they want people to acknowledge them or right. validate them or whatever. Absolutely. And what we really need is both energies. Exactly. We need somebody exactly. who is able to be strong and masculine, but then to surrender into their softer feminine loving energy and bring the full honor and respect for the feminine, you know, and then, and there's times where they'll step back into their full masculine and, and it's a dance, it's a dance, but it still has to happen with full honor and respect. And that's something that's exclusive of what I'm talking about. And something we have to learn as a culture and we have to teach our little boys. Yes. yes. Okay. We have to teach our little boys to bring that party without causing them to not, but without emasculating them and without causing them to also an honor their full divine masculine. Yes, I call it. Uh, you know, there's it's the two energy of backbone and heart. You got to have structure. You got to have discipline. You got to have intention. But there, you also have to have compassion, empathy, love. I like it. I yeah. like it. Well, you know, Michael, I, I feel like we've just got started, and we're actually out of time. I know you have a hard stop here that we need to honor. So I'm going to let you go. But yeah, I got a coaching client. <laughs> but I really appreciate you squeezing me in, my friend. Yeah, you got to you got to do your thing. So. Uh, but thank you so much for taking the time today. I know that there's going to be a lot of people that are interested in, in hearing more about that. And actually, on that note, where does somebody need to go in order to learn more about you and or the Trophy Effect? Uh, my website is IntentionQuest, IntentionQuest.com. What is all about intention? There you go, IntentionQuest.com. There you'll be able to learn about my book, The Trophy Effect. Uh, if you're not able or even in any kind of inclination to want to come coach with me, um, then please pick up the book. And, uh, you know, I am available to some degree for coaching, but mostly I just support people to buy the book and, uh, 
uh, we'll go from there. But uh, really appreciate the opportunity, Peter. Very good. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, my friend. Have, Have a good, good one. one. Take care.